may be seated. In 1927, the S-4 submarine was just off the coast of Massachusetts, and it was accidentally rammed by a ship. The submarine began to sink to the bottom of the ocean floor. As you can only imagine, panic set in as ships began to, ba- uh, to gather and divers began to converge on this place to try and figure out what they could do in this moment. Our minds can only imagine what was going on on the inside of that submarine for those sailors trying to figure out what was going to happen. A diver went down to the ocean floor and was looking around on the submarine and he stuck his helmeted ear up to the wall to just listen to see if he could hear any activity. And as he listened, he could hear a tapping noise. He listened intently to realize that someone was actually tapping the Morse code. He deciphered the message being sent, and this is the question that he heard. Is there any hope? Is there any hope? I believe it's the same message that echoed through the disciples' minds and no doubt through their conversations on Saturday after Jesus died on the cross. The one that they had trusted and believed in, they had spent three years with him as he poured into them and taught them and all their hopes were in Jesus, but now Jesus has died and he's been buried in the tomb. Maybe the disciples looked at each other and said, is there any hope? Do we have anything to hope for in the future? I would suggest to you today that that is the cry of humanity. That's the cry of the world. People wonder today, is there any hope? Unfortunately, there are many people in the world losing hope. Many have lost hope. We've seen it in recent days by some who have even taken their life simply because they had lost all hope. And I say to you on Easter 2019 that it does not have to be that way. There is hope available. There is always hope when you know Jesus Christ, our resurrected Savior and Lord, in a personal way. When we talk about hope, our theme today is living hope, living hope that we'll read in the text in just a minute. The hope that we're talking about today is not the kind of hope of, man, I'm just holding on by a rope trying to survive kind of hope. It's not the kind of hope that we had over the last few weeks, hoping that the weather would be good for the sunrise service. If you missed it, let me tell you, it was pretty out there, the sun coming up in the east. Some of you in the last couple weeks were hoping that you would get a tax refund, but I can see by the look on your face it didn't happen that way. This is not the kind of hope like, I hope the Braves are going to make the World Series this year. Biblical hope is a totally different kind of hope. It is a assurance. It's a confidence that only comes through Jesus Christ. And on this day, Easter Sunday, it is handed to us through what this day represents. Grab your Bible with me and go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 
And I want to read verses 3 through 9 and bring you a short sermon. When I said short, that was your cue to say amen. Amen. A short sermon from verses 3 through 9 on living hope. Hear the word of the Lord, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. If you don't have your Bible, you can look on the screen or grab a Bible from the rack around you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a, say it with me, living, say it again, a a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. God, I stand before you today as your servant. I know that in me dwells no good thing. No matter how effective my oratory skills are, or my homiletics or hermeneutics, that nothing will happen of eternal value apart from the Spirit of God. So Holy Spirit... I believe in your work and I believe in your power. And as we walk through these verses for just a moment, I pray that every person in this room will leave this property today living in hope, the hope that comes through Jesus Christ. For the person who needs to be born again, I pray that they would be today. For the Christian who has been born again that seems to be losing hope in their faith in the gospel, I pray that that would be renewed in these moments. May eternal fruit be born as a result of our gathering. And we pray this in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen. amen. In verse number three, Peter says that we bless God. We bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're here today to give a blessing to God. Now, you might say, Pastor Tim, I came today to get a blessing, and that's okay. Uh, I hope that you leave here feeling blessed. But I want you to flip that around for just a moment and think that you actually came here today to give a blessing, a blessing to God our Father for the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Real quickly, Peter says that we should bless God in the text for three things. Number one, we should bless God for his empathetic salvation. His empathetic salvation. The word empathy is a word that means you have the ability 
to feel the pain of someone, that you understand their predicament or the plight that they're in, and in your heart you are truly moved to genuine compassion. I think Peter shows us that God saw us in our need and he sent to us Jesus Christ because he has empathy toward our condition. The scientist and author Carl Sagan was on a PBS documentary entitled The Chariots of the Gods. And in that, Sagan is talking about how that maybe there really is life outside of the universe. And so he makes this statement. He said, it's nice to think that there may be someone out there who can really help us. Now, Sagan was being sarcastic in the moment, okay, being a little bit, uh, trying to be a little bit funny, if you will. But boy, was Sagan really speaking and teaching the truth. Because there really is somebody out there that can help us. The God-man, Jesus, came to this earth. The Bible says that he took on flesh. Peterson says God moved into our neighborhood. And when he moved into our neighborhood, he did not isolate himself from the neighbors. The scripture teaches us that Jesus Christ in his flesh was tempted in all points as we are. It says that he was touched by the feelings of our infirmities. When we think about salvation, let's take it a step further. In thinking about empathetic salvation, the Scripture teaches us that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. How did this happen? Well, it's the path to living hope. It happened because, Peter says in verse number 3, it happened according to his great mercy. I want to give you three quick words. The first word is grace. Grace is receiving what you do not deserve. That's why a man was sitting in the upper chamber by the name of Newton, sitting in the upper chamber, a pastor who was looking out over the courtyard of his church. He was thinking about his life, thinking about what an evil, wicked, ungodly slave trader that he was. He was born again and saved by God's amazing grace. As he reflected over his life, he reached over and grabbed a pen and began to write, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. The moment became real to him that he had received what he did not deserve, and that is God's amazing grace. The second word is the word justice. Justice is receiving what we do deserve. Pastor Tim, what do I deserve today? Well, according to the Bible, it says that what we deserve, because God is holy and just and righteous, we deserve because of our sin, to be separated from him for all eternity. The good news of today is that it doesn't have to be that way. Because Peter writes, according to his mercy. Well, then what is mercy? Man, I'm glad you asked. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. So Peter writes, according to God's mercy, according to us not getting what we do deserve, we have a living hope. How does this living hope come into our lives? Well, he goes on to say that God 
The author of mercy has caused us to be born again. Isn't that an interesting phrase, being born again? I remember my mind as a child when President Jimmy Carter came on the scene and became our president. He announced to our nation that I'm a born-again Christian. Y'all remember that? I'm born again. And man, that started the chatter in our, in our country. What does that mean to be born again? A President Carter did not grab those two words out of the air. Let me tell you where he got them. He got them from the Bible. Jesus is having a conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And he says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus went, how in the world could that ever happen? There's no way that I could go back and enter into my mother's womb a second time. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a spiritual birth that takes place in every person's life. Nicodemus, you need to be born from above. That's why we talk about the Christian life being about the new birth. And when you have a new birth, it points to a bright future. Being born again is taught by our Lord. If, if Jesus said it, how many of you know that makes it important? He said that you have to have a new birth. And when you have this new life in Christ, it grows and it becomes greater and greater and stronger and stronger and more beautiful over time. How does this happen? It, it happens through a living hope, new life in Jesus. And I testify to you today at 46 that knowing Jesus and having this living hope inside of me, it just gets better and better. That's a weak amen. I said it gets better and better. I've never met anybody who said, I regret the day I was born again. But I've met literally thousands of people who said, what a great day it was in my life when I received living hope and a new birth in Jesus. How does it happen? Look at the end of verse number three. It happens through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Did I not read that to you just a moment ago in 1 Corinthians 15? That our faith hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If he had not been raised from the dead, this sermon is useless. We might as well be at the beach or doing something else. Paul said your faith would be in vain if Jesus had not risen from the grave. And I'm glad to tell you today, he did rise from the grave. And because he did, God in his mercy offers an empathetic salvation through Jesus Christ who came to this earth and lived for 34 years, who was touched by our struggles. He was tired in his body. He was weary. He bled. He suffered. Why? Because he empathized with you and I and became our sin on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sin. That's what living hope is all about. We bless God today for empathetic salvation. But number two, in verse number six, we bless God today because of this living hope. It gives us an encouraging stamina, an encouraging stamina. Now, let's get honest, everybody in the room. We're going to have a little therapy session here. How many of you in the room before have ever said, I'm done? I quit. 
I'm finished. It might, be, it might be on your job, it might be in your marriage, it might be in your family, it might be with a church, but you just gave up. Well, well, Peter writes to us and says, don't give up. In verse number six, in this we rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Now, verse number six is a word, a word that just really frustrates people who don't know Christ, because it makes no sense to them how you and I as Christians can both at the same time have joy and peace and hope while we're going through difficult situations. Now, let me give you some context here for this passage. You need to know the who, what, when, where, why of every text that you read. Who is Peter writing to? He is writing to Christians who are suffering intense persecution. The diaspora, they've been driven away from their homes, driven from their community. Quite frankly, they're just trying to survive in a world who wants to stamp them out. It makes me pause for just a minute today and remind you of our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering persecution. You, don't, you do know many of them have gathered for worship in these last couple of days, and they didn't make it back to their house. You do know that, right? You do know that in the last, just in the last 24 hours, for example, this is not the only example, but here's a big one. 137 Christians gathered in Sri Lanka to commemorate the death of Jesus on the cross and then to celebrate his resurrection and they were martyred for their 137. And that's really not the number. There's more than that. You know, that really ought to speak to us in this room right now. It really should. You know why? Because you and I live in such freedom we're so, we're so blessed to be here right now. Amen? I mean, we came freely, w w without fear of persecution, without fear of dying. It ought to just encourage us a little bit more if I, if I could just make a statement and not chase a rabbit. It really ought to make us feel guilty about how nonchalant we are sometimes about gathering with the body of Christ because we can do it freely at our will without fear of losing our life. And there are brothers and sisters around the world that go to a public gathering like this every week wondering if their home will be burned while they're there. Did you know there are pastors around the world that preach their Easter sermon with a machete under the pulpit and a machine gun around their neck? You say, Tim, that's not, that's not much faith. Hey, I'm not going to criticize them. I don't know what I would do if I were in their shoes. Because the persecution is intense, right? So, so, so how do you go through that? And Peter says that we rejoice. We rejoice. On top of that, not just persecution, but just in the last seven days, I've encountered and been with and spoken with so many people that are going through a variety of trials and hardships. 
And Peter is saying, because we have this living hope inside of us, we can live with rejoicing in our heart, knowing that the results are for God's glory. Did you notice what he said in the text? He said that once you go through this time of testing, when you come out on the other side, it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Gang, this world can get tough. Sometimes we do want to give up. But God sent you here today for me to give you a word to say, don't lose hope. Don't lose heart. God is going to see us through. I'm reminded of, of Job in the Old Testament. Job chapter 1. No one has had a day like Job had. He lost everything that he owned. He lost his entire family with the exception of his wife. Who told him, why don't you curse God and die? Job didn't have a lot of encouragement around him, but here's what he said. Though he slay me, yet will I serve him. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When you read on over in the book of Job and you get to the 19th chapter, you see a very strong prophetic word about this day, about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the soon revelation of Jesus Christ when he comes again, where Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. You know what? It doesn't matter what I go through today, what I experience, the suffering, the pain, the trials that I go through. Because I have the living hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ inside of me, I know that I'm going to make it. Notice that living hope is in the present tense. Our hope is not just in eternity. But for as long as I live upon this earth, Christ in me, that living hope, you know what it does for me? It gives me an encouraging stamina to keep going because I know the rest of the story. Let me finish with a third thing. We bless God today. We thank God today for his empathetic salvation. We thank him for by his grace, his encouraging stamina that we can rejoice though we go through various trials. Let me close by saying that we thank him today for our eternal security. Our eternal security. Now, I know in the room we may have some that have varying beliefs about this matter of eternal security. And I'm just glad that when we get to heaven, you'll find out that I was right. You cannot read verse number four and not be blessed. Look in your Bible. Verse number four. To an inheritance. Man, when you hear that word, you sit up and listen, right? How many want to sign up for an inheritance? To an inheritance. This living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Get the picture now. God has caused us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Would you hear me for just a minute? Put your eyes on me just a minute. Let me bless you really good. I've got some good news for you today. You do not have to live in fear, anxiety, and worry 
about keeping your salvation. Okay, Pastor, I don't agree with you. Again, we'll get to heaven and I'm going to wink at you, all right? <laughs> what do I base that on? I'm not just pulling that out of the air. I'm reading the Bible. My inheritance is not kept here on earth based off of what I do or don't do. Listen, some of you are so frustrated with Christianity and the church and the Bible because in your life somehow you think that, you're, that, that God's love for you and his blessings on your life, that somehow what I'm going to do today is going to cause God to love me less and I need, to do, I need to do these things so that God will love me more. That's not good theology. Because there's nothing that I could do today to cause God to love me more and nothing I can do to cause him to love me less. And let me take it a step further. When I read my Bible, there's no such thing as getting kicked out of the family. As a matter of fact, Jesus said it himself in John chapter 10. The Father gives me all the sheep that he wants me to have, and I take all of those sheep and I place them in my hand. I hold on to them very tightly, and not one of them will be plucked out of my hand. On top of that, Peter says here, look, you're suffering, you're struggling, and, and you've got to understand these Christians, many of them were living in absolute poverty. And Peter is saying, you don't have much now, but let me tell you something. You've got something on the other side. You've got an inheritance. And you don't have to worry about that inheritance. If they take your life, it's secure and it's kept by God. Verses 8 and 9 at the end tells us that we're going to experience the outcome of our faith. No man has seen God at any time. No man has seen Jesus at any time. You may have had too much Domino's pizza before you went to sleep one night, but you have not seen Jesus. There is coming a day, the revelation of Jesus Christ, when Jesus is coming back. Real quick, first advent, born in Bethlehem in a manger, grows up as a young man, 12 years old. I must be about my father's business. That's the first words recorded from Jesus' lips in the Bible. I must be about my father's business. He grows up, and we find him primarily in, pa in the Passion Week narrative where Jesus is arrested, he's crucified, he's buried in a tomb. On the third day, he rises again, and 40 days later, he ascends back into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father, and now you and I are playing the waiting game. For what? We've never seen him, but we're going to see him. Because the end of the verse says, we are looking forward to the revelation of Jesus Christ when in that moment we will experience the eternal salvation of our souls. That's when our fate is going to be sought. And because we have that living hope inside of us, we rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory no matter what we're going through today. Now, let me ask you something. How many of you could just agree with me that that just sounds like the perfect life to live? <laughs> I mean, really, that's the way to live, right? No matter what's coming my way, I know where I'm going. My question for you today is what kind of price, what kind of value can you put on that kind of life? 
You can't. You can't. That's why Jesus said, what would it profit a man if he would gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What would it matter today? I'm just asking, okay? What would it matter today if you have all these toys and all this materialism and you have a nice truck and a nice car and a nice house and you have a lot of money in the bank and your 401k is just awesome? What is that going to matter if Jesus comes back today? What's it going to matter? Because I'm going to tell you something. You can put a value on all of those things. You cannot put a value on living hope and knowing that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, knowing that you've been born again. I read a story recently about a man that went to Washington, D.C. He went to the Smithsonian Institute because he wanted to see the world-famous Hope Diamond. It's the largest blue diamond in the world. Right beside it in the same case is the Portuguese diamond. It's the most brilliant white diamond in the world. The Portuguese diamond is twice the size of the blue diamond. So this guy went to the Smithsonian to see it. He's writing about it a little bit later. He said he walks into the area where these two diamonds are. There are four guards in the room guarding these treasures. And he says, I stood there and I looked down through the glass at those diamonds and just amazed at their beauty and their brilliance. He said, one of the guards kind of started walking over toward me. And he said, I just took the opportunity. And I said, hey, I want to ask you something. What is the value of these two diamonds? And the guard said, you know what? There is no price. Matter of fact, both of them are priceless. He said, because the Hope Diamond... Lloyds of London had appraised it a couple of times and it had actually been sold twice. He said, but both of them were purchased by the United States and they're going to be here forever. So he said, it really doesn't matter what the value of them are. They will never be sold because once the U.S. bought them, they are ours forever. And when I read that story, <laughs> I began to think about my relationship with Jesus Christ. What is the value? What is the monetary value of your life and your soul? You can't put a price on it. But here's what I know. There was a great price paid for me. When Jesus died on the cross and he shed his blood, he paid the ultimate price he gave his life willingly. As I said Friday night, he was not a helpless martyr. He could have struck them all down with lightning. You do know that, right? He could have taken himself off of that cross, but he didn't do it because he laid down his life willingly. And in that moment, he paid the highest price for me so that I could be born again, so that I could have a living hope. That's what Jesus did for you. You may be here today and you say, Tim, I just don't have much hope in this world. Oh, please, 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 please hear me today. There is hope available. 
You might be asking in your soul, is there any hope for me? Young lady walked up to me after the sunrise service today, just trying to figure out life and wanting to know, well, what, what do I do? Where do I go? Where do I turn? The only answer I have for that is the living hope <laughs> in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Have you been born again? I didn't ask you if you prayed a prayer. I didn't ask you if you joined the church or got baptized. I didn't ask you if you went to a private school. I've asked you if you've been born again. And do you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you have the living hope, the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ living inside of you?